ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Fundamentalists Podcast. This is a podcast hosted by myself, Elliot Morgan, as well as my podcasting and life and housing partner, Peter Rollins. I'm just joking. We're not life partners. We are housing partners. We are. Well, you know, it's it's a fine line. It's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, uh, we, we really take care of one another and yeah. as we walk through this life and toward death. And this is a podcast that mixes uh, comedy and philosophy and life stuff with different ideas and all sorts of fun things. We are just getting back into the swing of things with our second episode. Um, and it is very exciting. I think we're going to upload this at the same time, maybe. Oh, it's, yeah. We'll I'm happy to do that. But you know what? It, it, we maybe we should be uh, spreading them out for whenever the inevitable no. failure to <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to make one you, comes along. You will you'll find out, folks. If yeah. it, whenever you're listening to this, you'll know. Um, and yeah, so this is very fun. Peter is from Northern Ireland. If you're new here, and he is a speaker and a theologian and a philosopher, and I do comedy primarily on the internet, but oftentimes on stage, like May 22nd at the Tampa Improv and May 31st at the Fremont Abbey in Seattle. Um, and that was a plug. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can go to trywink.com slash the fundamentalist. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C. And you can order wine and you can drink while uh, you listen to us. And that makes it a better experience. Yes. Um, anyway, Pete, how are you this fine morning? I'm doing great. I mean, it's really good to be back. It is. Yeah, you've been, you dove right in. You've been getting a lot of stuff done. You've yeah. been out and about, but you've also been relaxing. It seems from my vantage point, it seems like you're adjusting very nicely. I am. Um, I am. It's good to. It's good. To, I haven't gone down to the hot tub yet. Um, that's one thing. Maybe we should uh, plan that later on today. Yeah. When tonight. you. That sounds nice. When you were gone, I was. I told myself I was going to go down to the hot tub several times. I think I went down like once or twice. But yeah. it's nice just to know it's there. It's that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. You're, a lot you're, of people hate hot tubs, which I, I get. Know, it's a very fair it. thing, especially if it's a shared one. But um, no one yeah. ever uses that. No one uses it. I mean, there must be a hundred people live here. No yeah. One, no one uses it. Um, anyway, so this is a... <laughs> oh, so here's what happened. This morning, um, I was over at Grace's, and I was drinking coffee, and I knew we were going to podcast, and I got a text message from you. And I was like, oh, he's, he's probably asking, like, what time I'm going to be back. And uh, and, and the, uh, the text just said, lobsters aren't castrated. And I knew immediately what that meant. And I knew to the point that I didn't even, <laughs> it didn't even register that that was a weird thing to read. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew in that moment that you were thinking about uh, Jordan Peterson and you were thinking, my guess, by proxy uh, Zizek and their recent debate, uh, um, yeah. which we have not talked about. I was thinking maybe we should talk about it in a few months time when we're definitely completely uh doing it at the wrong time uh-huh. you know we may as well because we're we're right there's still a little bit of relevance of, yeah there's still a little bit of relevance like to that. it so that's that's weird till it's not uh, relevant. yeah <laughs> um well i mean let, yeah let's dive in because obviously you were in northern ireland and i was not and so we did not get a chance to really talk about this debate that happened um but for those of you who don't know what that means jordan peterson is a clinical psychologist who is a a superstar in the world of like self-help currently um and uh has a lot of strong opinions on strong things and he wrote a book called what's it called like 12 12 rules for life 12 rules for life an antidote to chaos or something like that um and so anyway i looked up a thing about kind of what he believes and what you're referencing when you say lobsters um, do you want me to dive into this? Oh, yeah, please do, yeah. So this is from theconversation.com, and this is an article from like a year and a half ago. And uh, it basically says, uh, psychologist Jordan Peterson says, lobsters help to explain why human hierarchies exist. Do they? Um, it's one of those articles that like, 
you know. Anyway, hierarchies are everywhere. It is often argued that they are a social construct invented to allow certain people, such as white men, to have power over others. But not everyone agrees. While promoting his new book, Jordan Peterson has sparked debate by arguing that hierarchies are natural to some extent. And to prove his point, he uses the example of lobsters, ladies and gentlemen, which humans share a common evolutionary ancestor with. I mean, humans share a common evolutionary ancestor with every yeah. living creature. Well, I guess, but there, uh, yeah, I wonder how that works. You would know you did zoology. Yeah, it all uh, goes back to the same. It all goes back, but the, but there's different branches. Yeah, and I guess we're maybe on a similar mm. branch. I don't know. Phylum, phylums are what they're called. Phyla. Oh, is that right? P H Y L A. I think. That, um, I don't know where that, that came that, from. That uh, education uh, was. Uh, I just blacked money out for well a second. Spent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, four words. Uh, the higher up a hierarchy a lobster climbs, the brain mechanism helps make sure serotonin is available. The more, yeah, more serotonin is available. So basically, they have serotonin. We have serotonin. Uh, lower serotonin is associated with more negative emotions. Higher serotonin is like I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna win. I'm the best, and uh, it's associated with dominance and all that stuff. So lobsters are known to uh, basically adopt aggressive postures as well, sort of like how dominant creatures will. And basically, Jordan Peterson is, I believe, making a case for meritocracy and saying that um, may the best creature win, essentially. Yeah. And it's he's rather than uh, sort of have, I don't know, he talks about like the, what is it, outcome-based equality or something like that. It's like versus chance but you know, he has all these terms that they these that i i was into it for a yeah. while and i kind of fell out because it, it got kind of repetitive but um anyway i'm talking a yeah. lot why don't you sort of dive Jump into in yeah, with that yeah so it's so it's kind of a, a bit of a nietzschean perspective it's in the animal kingdom lobsters are one example but you see it everywhere is there are dominant submissive hierarchies mm -hmm. um that you see everywhere and um, you see that in human societies as well and the the view that Peterson's arguing, which I think is a common view that most people accept, is that there are certain hierarchies um, that exist in the world. And then when you apply that to human society, you kind of get people who say one of two things usually. Uh, if you're more conservative, you might say, uh, or you might tend to say that we live in a type of meritocracy where you work hard, you're honest, uh, etc. You will more likely than not go far yeah uh and then on the other side liberals will say well no we don't live in a meritocracy uh we live in a structure in which certain people get to the top whenever they don't merit it mm -hmm. but both are assuming in a sense the goodness of meritocracy one's just saying we kind of broadly speaking kind of have a meritocracy not completely and you can change it and make yeah, it basically, better meritocracy is good some people think we already have it and some people think we need to get to a place where we have it yes right? but yeah. it all presupposes that meritocracy is yeah which basically presupposes a, a certain very close connection with the rest of the animal kingdom okay where you see basically the stronger creature mm -hmm. will have dominance in the pack survival the of the fittest yeah, yeah. okay all cool. of that and the issue with this right so i want to kind of go like is there an issue with it how does it work and i think it's this so let's see how we i think we can well let's have some fun yeah let's have some yes yeah, so i don't know do we describe yeah, this no as one's fun? gonna this is I mean, fun I for do, me yeah but not for many people yeah. this I is think, fun for us i'm always worried <laughs> that you think someone's gonna get bored get well that's yeah. that ship sails but uh <laughs> every episode but uh no it doesn't but uh yeah i, I worry that you um uh, like no one really cares, right? Like oh yeah, you, you think that you you think with correctly probably that 
I worry, I want to be precise. That this is not an academic journal, yes. <laughs> and it's okay to sort of meander. Yeah. Meander, yeah, exactly. You remind me that that's good. Yes, I yeah. remind you that the Thank bar you. is very low. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you F up, there's not really any yeah. side effects. Well, okay, so here it goes then. You could say that within the animal kingdom, the word hierarchy is used to describe relative strengths and weaknesses, right? So you see that in the animal kingdom, there is conflict. And the animals that are more dominant, you go there higher up the hierarchy. So hierarchy is a, is something that you impose on the system to explain it. Okay. Whereas within the human society, hierarchy pre-exists us. We are born into it. So um, what that means, and it's, it's, it's a very slight difference, but it cashes out in huge ways, is that... Uh, the authority already exists, and you just need someone to step into. Yeah, it. you fall into it. Fall into. It. You're and born person, into privilege, or you're born into oppression, or you're born into. I mean, that's kind yeah, of. Or, too yeah, yeah, and or you work your way into it, or whatever. But but what oh, happens is, it's simply the fact that you can occupy a position of authority that you that doesn't reflect your expertise or skills or strength. So it's kind of like. And this is what Winnicott means uh, when he talks about the good enough parent. So he says that basically there is already symbolically a type of uh, family and concrete human beings step in. So there's father and there's mother and then individuals play those rules. And as long as you don't screw up the rule, your kid's going to be fine. Yeah. So, you, so a good enough parent doesn't create a good enough child. A good enough parent actually creates a very healthy child because there's already symbolically these hierarchical structures that exist that we step into, that we have to embody, but that doesn't necessarily reflect our strength or our skills or our abilities. Um, and this is called symbolic castration because it's where... You symbolic castration. castration. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> symbolic <laughs> castration is where you realize that there's a difference between you as a judge, you say, say you're a judge, and you as an individual person with conflictual desires. Yeah. You realize that you are not your role. You are not, you're playing the role of a father, but you're, you're probably pretty crap person in many ways you're mm -hmm. playing the role of a mother but actually you're full of self-doubt and and hysterical questions that reminds me of like people that are like when you uh rag on somebody and they're like how could you say that he has two kids and it's like because he's a father doesn't mean he's a good guy oh yeah that's right yeah, like there's, yeah just, there's, that's his he might be a great father doesn't mean he's a good guy yeah he could be yeah there's the symbolic role of the father yeah and you're going you're appealing to that but actually then there's the real individual who could be an asshole yeah and and do, and yeah that that uh that saying kind of exposes that weirdness uh -huh. is like oh you know how could they lie they're a mother I've heard that said, I heard that somewhere recently, someone said, well, you know, like they're a mother, you know, you think they're going to be lying. And of course, in a sense, because symbolically, the mother doesn't lie. Symbolically, a mother has the best interests of their child, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And when you think mother, you think your own mother, who you will naturally sort of like esteem. Yes. And so if you see somebody else who's a mother, they're doing something and you're like, yeah. well, and that, that person's mother, and my mom is wonderful, so therefore this person should also yes. be wonderful. But, you, but your job. mother isn't wonderful. I've met her. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, she is a pill. Yeah. You're, like, your mother is, there is within, you're basically thinking of your mother as a symbolic figure. Sure. Who is perfect. But also there's your concrete actual mother who 
is just flawed, like any other human her, being, yep. flawed, all of that. I assume she's flawed. Yeah, I've yeah. never seen any proof, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so one day that is kind of symbolic frustration, and the issue is in human societies is that we are we work our way into or we're given certain uh, authority spaces of authority, and what happens is. If we disavow symbolic castration, we start to think we deserve it. And Hollywood's a great case example. Oh, well, this it's the is, best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not. I'm that, a star. I'm a, and I, I deserve to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I worked hard for this. I'm, like, There's they, a song called "Little Lies You're Told" by a band called Joy Wave, uh, and it's uh, yeah, it has a line in it that it's like you're supposed to be famous, and it's like all this like you know put the thing on the credit card like you deserve this like this is your time like all that stuff and it's very like these are just the little lies that you're told throughout the, the exactly. course of your life and that, that's the disavowal of symbolic castration it's like yeah of course i deserve to have all of this stuff i've worked and the person might have worked hard for it but also a, per, a person who is struggling to get by might be working hard as well yeah so the denial of symbolic castration is where you start to think of yourself like a lobster i.e the lobster who's dominant is dominant not for symbolic reasons. They're dominant because they are the strongest lobster. They actually literally are physically the strongest. The strongest lobster. Yes. So when you so, disavow your symbolic castration, you're treating yourself like a lobster and you're saying that I have this dominant position in society. Because I am the, the best. best. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas the lobster is like just trying to survive and happens to have gotten the genetic lottery. And then we look at that as scientists and we go, oh, look, there's a hierarchy if you look at it this way. Yeah. But then we go, oh, if there's a hierarchy there and there's a hierarchy here, this must be the same type of hierarchy. But yeah. really one hierarchy is just us making sense out of the... The, the primarily chaotic natural world and then the hierarchy we have now is so that we don't all kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah I think I can, you, you did that fast speaking thing you do, which I like, so I have to catch up with you. Yeah, so, well, yeah. it's how I bury being wrong. Ah, uh, right. Oh, very good. That's, mm -hmm. a good. that's a good policy. Um, I think yeah. that made sense. Yeah. I think that I like the differentiation of looking at, uh, at, at the populations of, or looking at the natural world. And it is, like you're saying, it's a subtle difference, but it, I, yeah. It's a difference of language, by the way. That's what it is, in a sense, is that when you become self-conscious when, and when you are creatures of language, you enter into symbolic worlds. Mm -hmm. And symbolic worlds are different from... Yeah. They, they arise out of, but they're structurally, they're different from material worlds. So lobster doesn't exist within a symbolic world, but human beings do. Mm -hmm. And that changes things subtly. Lobsters don't know that lobsters exist, which is... Cool. Yes, exactly. Yeah, lobsters don't think and about big, what it is to be a lobster. Yeah, the big, tough lobster isn't like, I'm the big, tough lobster. Yeah, yeah. and they're not, they're not existentially questioning themselves. So whenever you become a subjective being, you start to... You, you're divided. You're going, to, what is it to be human? What is it to be me? You know, these yeah, questions. The yeah, the stuff that's, that's so fun. Yeah. That haunts, yeah. <laughs> haunts us. Uh, yeah, I think uh, to back up a little bit, though, to give context, because oh, I, yeah. I don't think... Uh, Jordan Peterson and being a clinical psychologist is not trying to be a scientist or nor is he trying to be, well, he is trying to be a philosopher, but like the, the motive, mm -hmm. like the theme of it is essentially like, like you're saying, work your ass off, like work, like commit to what you're doing, like give your, like be like focus, you know, mm -hmm. clean your room and do all that stuff. And it's very, I think, I don't think that's the be all and end all of how people should live their lives. But I do think that when you're in your twenties and when you've grown up in a society that doesn't really have strong figures like that, yeah. that are, are father figures or, or whatever, like it's, it's helpful 
in the short term to be like, oh yeah, I can have some yeah. agency in my life and I can make decisions because I do think where what I like about Peterson um, is I think that he has reinvigorated the fact that you can you can at least give yourself the illusion that you have control over your life and start making active decisions that actually perpetuate you into a state of, I would say, less um, chaos and less sadness and all that and less sort of feeling uh, out of control. I don't think it lasts and I don't think that like it's the, uh, I don't think that you won't eventually harm yourself if you make a life out of being like, I'm gonna be the big tough lobster. But I do think that there is a good lesson on the surface. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong, God, yeah, there's nothing wrong with working hard, and yeah, exactly, absolutely. It's, for me, yeah. it's a technical issue, it's just that, that what gets hidden in all of that, you're right, it's like, so there's a good advice, you know, work hard, uh, try to be motivated. Take action. Take action. I mean, my, my interest is more in if you, if you don't do those things, what what's stopping you from doing them yeah so but still i do i i, I want to be a person who works hard and yeah et cetera, et cetera. you know it is but, interesting i mean in my own like career and going through and in my 30s now i feel like good um i feel good i don't feel great but i feel good about where i'm at and what i've done and contributed but i do know that that like 20 something drive to um work hard and work hard and work hard i know that's not the motivation anymore like i knew in my 20s i was trying to become successful I was trying to become uh rich i was trying to get to a place where i could have like a really comfortable lifestyle and i'm still trying to do that but the motivations don't seem like they are what they were when that when I was in my twenties, and I don't. Yeah. I think that if I were to read something like Peterson in my twenties, I'd be way more motivated by it. But now, where I'm at, I'm sort of like, why am I like? I have this. I mentioned it in the last episode, but I have this meeting about this show. And it's so silly. It's such a. It's a silly concept, and there's so many silly things that make up what I do. <laughs> so it's like now I'm like embracing the silliness, and I think it's like helping a lot. But in my 20s, I would never have done that. And yeah. I think it's very difficult to embrace the, like, if you remove my, my career from the context of comedy or internet or entertainment or whatever, if you remove your career from just, like, the kind of novelty of it, if it was a more traditional 9 to 5 thing, um, I think that if people approached any kind of job or any kind of uh, hierarchy with a sense of lightness and a sense of, yeah. like fun and a sense of silliness and a sense of like this is not gonna last forever even if it's good and even if it's bad then i think people would be maybe be a little bit um actually maybe more productive and more you know free thinking and more you know probably more at peace than if they were to adopt sort of the i'm the lobster and i'm gonna take control yeah. over everything does that make sense i think so uh, yeah yeah i mean you're saying about you're, you take it a little bit less seriously. Less seriously, but also making, still working hard, but the motivation not being this thing that's tied to your like inner core, like yeah. this is my value as a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the, and the, the issue with the whole lobster thing is just that it's incorrect. It's not even as morally wrong. It's that, it's that once you realize that human beings, authority structure, hierarchy isn't something that uh, uh, is, a, is a way of describing dominant submissive kind mm -hmm. of postures but actually um hierarchies are symbolic structures that pre-exist us that we are born into once you realize that you realize that um 
there's that 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 we are not we don't the the meritocracy there's something kind of wrong about that it's like think about it in kind of fetish terms uh, you get someone to dominate you in a uh, S&M scene they don't actually have to be some dominant a powerful uh, completely uh, non-lacking subject mm-hmm. who is in control. They just have to act the role. The, the you you want that authority structure, so you just go out and find someone who'll fulfill it. And all they have to do is be good enough at the role. I see. Yeah. Read a few YouTube articles or whatever, and then they can play the role. They don't have to be that authority figure. They simply have to. Yeah, they're just like it. pockets. It's like you step into that pocket of being yeah. a mom or a dad or a, you know a president or a politician or. But you're right, there is an interest. It's almost less of a pocket, more like a tube. <clears throat> like, if you can just get in the tube and be good enough to get in the tube, the tube will shoot you down. It's yeah. like the kid in Willy Wonka that gets sucked out of the... Yeah. When he falls in the chocolate where he gets sucked through the tube, that's all life is. Because so, the symbolic structure is all... We want it. So, like, the child wants the father and mother figures, and then people enact those rules. And the issue is... And this is, this is the issue with the, with the evolutionary psychology approach uh, that, that Peterson takes is that if you think that authority works um, in some way, in some meritocracy way, then you disavow symbolic castration and then what you get is tyrants. You get people who... They're, they drink their own... They, eat, they, they drink their own Kool-Aid. Yeah, they drink their say? Own, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they, uh, they're high off their own supply, basically. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, those are perfect ways to describe yeah. this. Um, and... And that we see that happening a lot. It's not that a leader needs to be an expert. It's actually they can be pretty rubbish at their job as long as they realize they are and are taking advice from others and realize that they are the voice of the, the people mm-hmm. and they have to enact that. But when a leader starts to think of themselves as an expert who knows better than everybody else, then you start to get in real trouble. So the, the, hmm. the disavowal of symbolic castration leads to... Um, a lot of danger uh, whenever somebody identifies with their position absolutely one is they're wrong if someone is never wholly a mother or a father or a president or a prime minister um, or a dominatrix or whatever mm-hmm. these are rules that are played um, and where do these come from where are these I mean I'm sure that's its own TED oh, talk yeah. but like <laughs> like is it i mean if can they be changed can they be i mean people talk about the family structure changing and sort of like the nuclear family going by the wayside and then millennials don't have kids and millennials barely even have sex and um uh it's like it's interesting because you you hear constantly especially these days about how these structures are changing or society is changing and like but really are we just outsourcing those things like is the mother and father figure becoming uh a casing that is not enshrining like a singular person but is now a village or whatever like is yeah. that kind of what's happening or is there a breakdown to some of these structures which is what i'm worried about actually is that that there's always there's all in every epoch there's different dangers i think we're at a place where there is a danger of certain symbolic authorities dying and that that does create problems in society yeah i mean i would say the that if i could look from a bird's eye view or from an aerial perspective of like my generation and the current times, it does feel like the running theme in everything. And I think it's ultimately because of the internet, but I think that the running theme is that we are seeing behind the curtain on, on everything and everything is being revealed to be absolute shite, like absolute, yeah. just like, and that's a, that's a Northern Ireland that's word. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's like the, yeah. 
the impetus of everything. And so then as a result of being like, oh, the this 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 is the president, and like, oh, this is you know uh, the lawyer saying that um, he helped hide uh, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr.'s racy photos oh i didn't hear about this yeah. no, I, uh, I was gonna do a tweet that was like if it's a photo of him reading i'm going to call that the scandal of the <laughs> like you know he's new but um i don't really know if he's a smart guy or not but yeah apparently like, it's like one of those things where he is you know this guy's a figurehead for the evangelical community and it's like he's then there's a report about cohen taking care of these like scandalous photos and um who gives a crap first yeah. of all but also why be surprised at this point? Like we should be expecting all of these things, but as a result, it's like we're losing. I'm. I would be losing. I've obviously lost faith in the evangelical community. Obviously lost faith in uh, government, and it, it's like, yeah, you're right. Like there is a, a kind of a breakdown, yeah. at least, even from a my own subjective, yeah, standpoint. And and they're interconnected. I think so. The two dangers, and the, I think they're definitely interconnected. Is on one side, the non-castrated leader which means, the, say, in, in a family, the militaristic father, sure. as an example, or whatever, who's, who is this figure, um, or the figure of the, uh, whatever, the militaristic father is a good one. You've got, they're non-castrated, they are so strong. Yeah. yeah. And that, uh, and in political terms, the, the expert leader who thinks that they have the answer. Then on the other side, there is the complete breakdown of authority, which is, you know, your your parents are just regular people just like you. Um, and I, I actually know some families that do this where they go, we don't tell our child off. In fact, we, we allow our child to make decisions. So one family I know when they moved into their new house, they let their child pick which room they wanted. And of course, the kid picked the biggest room. So the kid sleeps in basically the biggest room and the mm -hmm. parents are in the small room. But they're experimenting with the zero authority. Well, the opposite, their experience, their school, like the idea that it's all all authority is but a yeah. construct but the the way out of this and i think they're both connected because if you have a non-castrated leader then that will just uh help destroy your faith in any leader yeah they become a, a, a ridiculous caricature yeah the trick is this is basically and this is what happens in families when it's good in psychoanalysis what i'm trying to do in radical theology is that you actually have an authority figure but that one first thing is that authority figure knows themselves that they're symbolically castrated. So they know they're inhabiting a rule for you. They mm -hmm. have to do a certain rule that's part of the development of the other person. It's basically how to help them become free. Um, and then gradually the other person realizes that the leader is a castrated mm -hmm. other. And then once that happens, the individual... Uh, what basically so you know if i'm the leader i realize that i'm a castrated other i'm just a regular person who's performing a role for people just like a priest listens to confession or a psychoanalyst listens to mm -hmm. the, the 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 talking of the analyzant the aimless ramblings the, of that, yeah of that um, yeah <laughs> um and then and then eventually the other person realizes that you're a castrated other uh and when they realize that, they become free to embrace their own symbolic castration and embrace basically the uh, inherent antagonisms of life. Mm -hmm. And that process is deeply important. In other words, you need a guru 
who will teach you that there's no such thing as a guru. Yeah. You need a priest who teaches you that it's a Tony priesthood Robbins. of all believers. You're talking about Tony Robbins. You know, I think Tony Robbins might actually in subtle ways do this. He's not, he's got some stuff that's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I, listen to Tony. I mean, I'll take all of it. I don't is that right? I, like yeah. I watched this, I watched a documentary about him and I, I got to confess, I was going into it. I mean, I was interested, but probably slightly skeptical. And I thought, I mean, you're talking about a caricature. Guy, yeah. Pretty. In, yeah. In, doing some interesting things. Yeah. yeah. And, and I love the fact that basically, there was nothing about the documentary that was about his personal life. And at the end, they asked him about it. And if I remember correctly, he was just like, well, that's not of interest. Like, basically, I am a symbolic figure here doing a symbolic thing. I don't, th I am not this person. My, yeah. my personal life is just as boring as yours. And that's how he can probably keep his sanity. Yeah, he keeps his sanity. And also, it's, it, was, it was obvious to me that he realized his own symbolic frustration. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether or not he is helping others acknowledge that i don't know but i was i was interested definitely he he was not thinking that he was tony robbins he might not it might not be his job as his you know whatever figure he is to make people realize his own symbolic whatever yeah maybe yeah. his job is to be that sort of whatever and then they go off and do their own thing i feel like it, it reminds me of um, the conversation reminds me of the conversations i've had with my parents about transitioning from being a mom and dad to being like a friend and like a colleague yes. and an adult and it's like they they have you know been like they they have to go or i imagine most moms and dads have to go through a process of being like i'm so used to playing this role in this character that is no longer necessary and i have to like shed this skin a little bit and that's a very vulnerable time i think yeah. for a lot of moms and dads or at least in my experience and for the kid too to realize that your parents are sort of like people and then to approach them as people in like a respectful way without also you know, bringing into the forefront all of the things that they did that when they were in the symbolic, you know, like when they were your mom and your dad yeah, and then being like, these oh, okay. like figures. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, it's like you want, we, I've in the past wanted it both ways. Like I want to be able to see my mom and dad as friends, but at the same time, they should know that I disagree with like how they, you know, like how much I was, and it's like, well, it, like they were just doing the role. Like they were just doing the thing that they, you know, not that there shouldn't be communication and like talk about everything, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's a fun, the, yeah. And th this is this fun is, thing to yeah. dissect. Absolutely. And like the part of the child's kind of birth into freedom is at the point where they experience the symbolic death of their parents. So uh, I, lots of this is, is to do with freedom, is that we hate our freedom. We, we really do. We want authority figures who will tell us what to do and how to think. We go to astrology, people, whatever, to podcasts. try to avoid. Yeah, yeah podcasts to get advice, self-help books. Uh, we're kind of terrified of, you know, there must be another who knows what, yeah. what Lacan calls a subject supposed to know. There is, a, is a, there is another out there who knows the answer for me, and mm -hmm. I've got to find him. But the part of the symbolic death of the family. I remember when it happened to me. My, I remember when I beat my dad at chess. Um, now he taught me chess and sometimes he would let me win, of course, and whatever, but there was a certain point when, and I don't think I really did win, but in my psyche, I felt that I really won. Mm. Like I, we played a game and he probably lost in a way that was believable. Yeah. And so I, and that was a traumatic experience because for whatever reason that, that was a symbolic death of the father. That's where I realized that he's just a regular person like me. But when you beat him? When I beat him. That's funny, even yeah. though he was probably doing it. Just, yeah, doing it. Well, that's the thing. That's the funny thing is, in one sense, that the parents should be helping to facilitate the, their mm -hmm. own death. But yeah, but, um, but I felt it as that. But that then changed how I viewed my father. 
um, he was more of a person mm-hmm. uh, and that was a part of my maturity as well at that point I was able to kind of go oh he doesn't know what I should do with my life and how I should live he doesn't have all the answers mm-hmm. um, because he's a divided subject he's just an individual p- playing mm-hmm. the role if I'm right about this and this chess move what else am I right about that he that I have yeah outsourced to him yeah, yeah. so so then I have to embrace the, the fact that no one has the answers about how I'm going to have to live my life and I just have to I have to muddle through and try and mm-hmm. try and kind of work it out myself how old were you that you learned chess when you learned chess I don't know actually I've got, I'm really bad at remembering ages I was small I know like, I'm bad yeah, at I'm too. Really bad, I, it's all the same yeah it's all little. the same yeah. I can kind of go back to like school grade teachers and kind of pinpoint but I always have to google like what ages you are at what yeah. times and stuff I've had to figure out what yeah what age I was several times but anyway um that's very interesting. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, no, the I, I'm happy. What did you think of the debate? If I can, like, oh yeah, did you get care? Like, I it was interesting because I'm so in that world uh, or in this world, I guess, since we're doing this podcast right now. But like, I I love all of this stuff, but it's interesting. I know, like, a friend of yours, Barry, who I love very much, mm-hmm. is uh, so great, but he was very critical of the debate and kind yeah, of saying was, how yeah. boring it was and. Um, you know, other people who are in your circle who I respect immensely and think mm-hmm. are so brilliant, um, we just weren't that into it. And so I, I sort of was like taking my cue from what I was reading on Twitter and Instagram and just being like, oh, maybe this isn't, you know, this is sort of a silly popcorn debate. But I kind of thought that going into it. Yeah. Um, did you watch it? Like I saw you. Well, I did, you did commentary. Yeah. I know you watched. It. Yeah. So yeah, I watched it and I get, I did do a couple of commentaries and I know. Yeah, and I am different from a lot of my friends on this, but I took it seriously. Think it was an important debate. Think it was uh, a really um, important discussion to have and and had a certain cultural significance. Yeah. And I do think that there's a, there was a certain kind of elitist snobbery from some people because yeah. this was not um, some sort of like academic talk. Uh, yeah. And there was a whole, well, there was a lot of people criticizing for a lot of different reasons, but I actually felt that it was, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought important things were said, and um, I think it needs to be dissected. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, but, really? Uh, yeah. I felt like, uh, yeah, I felt like Zizek, um, I mean, just it became very evident up top, I think, that uh, Peterson was sort of not approaching it in a way that was going to make him the dominant lobster. Um, But also in a way that he could sort of, you know, if you don't know it, you can't debate it. Like you can't argue against something that you don't know. So the way he approached it, uh, I felt like was interesting, but nothing. I always get, you know what it is? I feel like if I understand everything, something is wrong. Maybe that's a, maybe that's its own Lacanian. Somebody knows, but like I was listening to Peterson's like, no, I was like, there's times where he was talking, I was like, I don't think so. And then Zizek would talk, and I'm like, well, I can't understand what he's saying, but uh, it sounds smart. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that is, no, you know what? I'm the same, I like, and I think it's a good rule of thumb to have. It, often we, if we don't understand something, we dismiss it. But actually, like anything profound, anything that has deep insight, the first time you hear it, it's going to sound kind of crazy. And I, it, I, as a good rule of thumb, yeah, if I understand something straight away, kind of like oh my yeah it's gone it's yeah. gone and also it's also i worry because it's it's so simple yeah so i like i you know i i want to get into I'm, I'm drawn to in any discipline i i think when you get into it like mathematics physics chemistry anthropology philosophy it's like like if you can understand it through watching a youtube 30 minute thing um you're not you're not getting into the heart of it it's actually yeah. really 
painfully difficult and I still find it painfully difficult and I like have studied it for 25 years mm -hmm. now and I and got a PhD in philosophy and and when I read some philosophers I'm still have to do it slowly carefully uh, and talk it through with yeah. people read it multiple times because you're in the meat you're in like the the sinewy like yeah. this is the this is the real stuff whereas I feel like the tr the problem with debates is among many others is that you uh it's sort of just very cursory and yeah. very like, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the issue with the lobster thing. It's a good example. Is it's very simple. It's like there are, we all agree there are hierarchies. We all see hierarchies in the animal kingdom. We all have a basic understanding of evolutionary theory, all of that. Survival so of the fittest is a pretty easily understandable yeah. term. And it's not that any of that's wrong. It's just once you give it an extra twist and you go, okay, but what happens when we realize that that humans live in a symbolic universe as well mm -hmm. and then you go oh right so and then you kind of okay so 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 authority works slightly differently and then and then you get into much more interesting uh areas yeah because it's also like if we're living in a symbolic world that basically is some this weird virtual reality that we have that we sort of have created or whatever and you have all these like avatars that people step into throughout your life and all these figures and symbols and yada yada but what's funny about it is like it, when you start talking about it, i guess this would be a dialectic thing if you see i'm learning it well maybe i'm completely wrong oh, because yeah. the ironic thing is when you hear symbols you think it doesn't matter but then what actually happens is they affect your life more than the actual real life situations oh, so yeah. that's like a that like it's one thing to be like well yeah. symbolically but that almost sounds like you're minimizing it but we are so affected by symbols and so affected by the avatars and like the whatever that um it's just as real as the like yeah. not as the as the actual stuff and, and it's, so. it's even like and it's more real in a way. like if you get stopped by a police officer symbolically they're a police officer and their power only comes from the fact that we as a society basically believe in the power of the police yep. if, it's like money money only works because we all believe it's worth something it's not it's just a piece of paper in fact now it's just knots and ones it's yeah. just digital so it, it the only reason why it functions is because we all believe in it but that's more part of the police if we don't believe in the police officer and this is a, a problem some people have where they just look at the officer and they see a normal person they see a 25 year old kid and they so they don't give the police officer any authority in a way they're wrong yeah. <laughs> because, because the the virtual reality of the police officer um is more important it's like the reality police officers keep us safe because we believe they keep us safe yeah <laughs> it's like that i think therefore i am but yeah. like extrapolate yeah i mean kings are powerful not because power, kings are inherently powerful it's because we treat the king as powerful yeah. it's like if, if we all stop believing the king is powerful the king's power dissipates mm -hmm. it, it, it it's it's structured because of all of these levels of belief yeah um and conversely if the king starts to believe he's actually that powerful he'll become a tyrant and yeah. End up, yeah and that's it it's a disavow like uh was it joffrey and game of thrones or whatever you know the disavowal of your symbolic castration means that you fully identify with your symbolic self um, and then, uh, you know, you become either a caricature, half laughable and also in incredibly danger. Danger, yeah. dangerous. So for me, the, the trick is how do we acknowledge our symbolic castration? So Marcus Aurelius had somebody walking around saying, you're but immortal yeah. <laughs> to kind of remind him of this fact. Um, but also then the big, if you're a parent, you have to, there's a certain point when you have to reveal to your child your own symbolic castration. 
as a religious leader, that's the point. For me, religion is a disavowal of castration. Religious gurus pretend to be all powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, you do this like that's why revenge is the sweetest success. Is like if you pretend to be uh, not you symbolically mean success is the best revenge. Yes, what did I say? Revenge, revenge is the best success. success. Oh, yes, exactly. The way you said it's right. Yeah, the Success way you said it, though, is there's a lot to unpack there. Have yeah. fun with that. <laughs> Success is the best revenge <laughs> in that if you if you pretend to be powerful and successful and hide your symbolic castration from the other, uh, then they start to be jealous and they start mm -hmm. to all of this. So you can hide it from yourself, but you can also just hide it from other people. And that's just as bad is whenever, say, a religious leader pretends that they are the non-castrated the trick is as a parent as a as a priest as a psychoanalyst is to gradually reveal your own symbolic castration to the other that helps the other realize there is no subject supposed to know there's no other out there who who is the ultimate expert who we should give deference to so that we embrace the contingency of existence and make our own decisions um it's like when you're going out on a date, right? And you're like, I'm going to be Mr. Suave yeah. for this girl. And I'm going to puff out my chest because I am the lobster. And then it works. And that's terrifying because then you have to continue to pretend yes. to be like Mr. Tough Guy. And I see a lot of people who are in very long relationships who have with each other have never seemingly never shown one another that they're like not these sort of perfect partners for one another and they just sort of like it's the facebook couples and the instagram couples and you're just like do you do y'all know like yeah. do you guys like have you cried in front of each like have you shown each other that you're not perfect and that you're you're uh castrated for you know whatever yeah. term you want to use um yeah, and so yeah, a lot yeah. of like relationships, I feel like, are just a process of being like, I'm the lobster. I'm feeling this thing of like, I'm a charming guy who's gonna just, you know, I'm gonna take care of you, and then slowly being like, Hey, here's the show my hand. Here's the truth. I'm not that great, and then getting to that as quickly as possible, I think, is probably good too. Yeah, that way you're not like living a uh, what do you call it lie. Exactly, and realizing you you can step into these because the the whole point of 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 hierarchy yeah. and human structures is. These uh, these structures exist and exist for good reason. So you will you can step into these symbolic spaces. You can act out father, mother, lover, all of these different rules. It's just acknowledging that the rules pre-exist you. You step into them, and they also are not you. Yeah. You they they represent a part of you, um, and recognizing that is is just a healthier place it's to just, be it's just it's it's more free it's yeah. like oh i'm not and it also allows you to go through life and be like i am not my job i am not just being a husband or being a partner or being whatever yeah. uh, but it, also recognizing that those things are important yeah. and, and, and the danger today like here's my fear of today is today the danger is not on the less in family life on the non-castrated uh other but more on the thought that there is no authority whatsoever that 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 actually mothers and fathers are just real people and we're there all of these authority structures are purely non-existent yeah pretending that the symbolic world that we live in doesn't exist or that yeah. we can like easily escape it or do away with it or that yeah. we should do away with it or you know yeah. and, and that's very dangerous i mean if, if you if you have for example a family with a very strong or sorry a very weak like non-existent authority figure 
then the children will grow up and will probably be really into, for example, the new age, astrology, all of this, like this um, weird kind of the universe knows the answer and oneness. Like you'll see a real increase in God, people who can be manipulated by palm reading astrology, even though intellectually they don't believe in it. So the, the weird thing you'll see in society is that people don't even believe in these things and yet give their money and their energy and their time to them. You are such a Leo. <laughs> I, had that, I had that locked and loaded oh that was good yeah that was good start, like, in <laughs> from the this, very beginning this from this morning <laughs> you are such a freaking leo um do you know what you are what your symbol is uh, i am aries yeah. yeah yeah what are you god of war is that what that is is that i suppose the ram i don't, I don't know i don't know yeah. where that came from wow. if, I, if that's I like true it. i have no idea <laughs> i'm pisces i'm a fish i'm of two minds about everything which yeah. is why i totally don't believe in astrology i just you know, happen to believe it. Yeah. Astrology, I can't get on board with. But anyway, um, yeah. for some reason, because uh, anyway, so yeah, you're right. It's very interesting because you see the breakdown happen and they seek it in these sort of like, yeah. Yeah. So because in one sense, the role of the authority figure in a family is to, well, one is you, you give yourself over to them as having the answer and then they enact their own death. So you realize they don't have the answer. And so you're able to live with a lack of answer. You, you embrace mm -hmm. contingency. Um, but if that doesn't exist, if that, do, if that structure doesn't happen, I just think that generally you'll see it in weird societal symptoms. I don't know if there's anything here, but in terms of the, um, the Christian uh, world, there is a tendency, and I don't necessarily disagree with it. I think everyone is on their own journeys, and it's beautiful, and do your thing. But there is, in my experience, I went from sort of believing in a symbolic God who had a beard, and but I believed in him literally, yeah. that he had you know eyes of fire and long flowing beard and long hair, and he was just this you know generally masculine and father yeah. and all that, and um, and then exiting evangelical christianity one of the lily pads uh on onto which i hopped was the sort of mystical um approach and mysticism and it, i thought about it when you mentioned the new age stuff because it's like people who you know if you don't have the strong father figure you don't have or you have an absent father figure you can seek these things in this sort of like very sort of loosey-goosey type of thing and it's interesting to me that the that once the father figure of God in my brain uh, was truly not like fitting in anymore with my psyche. Then it became more about mysticism. It became more about like, but literally like I think about when I think about mysticism in my head, the way I conceptualize it is literally God becoming missed and becoming like everywhere and dissipated, which and is that's why you're wrong. Exactly. exactly. This yeah. is the problem. Cause and here's my, here's my interest in Christianity, right? In Christianity, God experiences God's symbolic castration, mm -hmm. which is very rare. So in other words, you presuppose you're talking about the crucifixion yeah yeah so there's a bearded you're talking god. about the crucifixion yeah you know where i'm going um <laughs> there's a bearded god a, a being that's whole and complete lacks the lack is not symbolically mm -hmm. castrated and then in the crucifixion god says my god my god why have you forsaken me in other words god experiences the yeah. loss of yeah. god which i love when zizek brought that up and yeah. peterson was like oh and i was like yeah. and then he completely misunderstood it that's funny because because she's brought it up and then peterson completely misunderstood really? what she's was saying because yeah this is the point that she's was making he's making the point that that in christianity god 
engages in self-castration. If you don't go through that, what you do is you end up going into mysticism. Yeah. So mo- a lot of it's people... It's just who, taking it and yeah. just going and dispersing it dispersing into cells and in st- in atoms instead of being like, oh, no, this, you're still not... You still you haven't gone through. through the kind of what's called the ontological lack, the experience of the rupture of the other that helps you embrace your own freedom. It's so called salvation. Salvation, yeah. Well, yeah. Salvation is when yeah when you go through the crucifixion. That's yeah. it. And I've just come back from a festival where our entire the intellectual side of it was all about conversion and salvation and it was exactly this argument that if you do not go through the symbolic castration of crucifixion in family and psychoanalysis and theology then what you end up doing yes is that you seek a subject supposed to know in some not in your mother or father but in some political cause and some yep. religious cause in the universe itself yep. you, that's what i mean it's that, a cloud I, it's always some kind yeah. of weird cloud it's and like, that's exactly what i meant it was really good that you yeah. picked it up is exactly what i meant when i said the lack of the authority figure who dies in a family yeah. leads the young people to then start embracing new age mysticism mm-hmm. yeah. which i and that said i have no problem yeah, with i love all that but i do think that the journey to get there is short-sighted if you go from one to the other and just like oh this is this i view it like this now and it's like well yeah but i i was listening to or watching a video of a podcast called your mama's house with tom segura and pete holmes was the guest and I, it was just like responding to christian jokes like and yeah. it was basically this youtube video of this pastor being like what's up modern day church um we're going to talk about uh comedy a lot of people think christians can't be funny well here's mm-hmm. some christian jokes and it's just these it cuts to people telling Christian jokes to one another. Uh-huh. And they're so bad that they're, yeah. it's, it's truly, and Pete Holmes put it great. He was like, this is heartbreaking. He was like, these are still my people. He was mm-hmm. like, there's, he, he was like, they're a humorless, cultureless group of people. Yeah. And I was like, that's so very, very true about so much of the church these days. But the jokes that they were saying were just like, so, so boxed in and so whatever. And, and Pete Holmes made the point of like, no, the salvation part is when you, you feel it like you you die to this yeah. stuff. You yes. die to the like idea that there's anything out there. And then after that, you come out and you're like, and I was thinking about that in terms of my own experiences, obviously. And I was like, oh, that is kind of what it feels like. It does feel like salvation when you go like, oh no, like it's, yeah. it, and then you can come out the other side and be like, <gasps> and you yeah. Know, and there. this is why like the church in, in a sense, in a technical sense is pre-conversion in, in the, the confessional church that we know has this idea of a non-castrated God or other. And then when people leave it, and I know loads of people who leave it, but then they just embrace the non-castrated other in terms of politics, in terms of causes, mm-hmm. or in terms of the universe. The interesting thing about Christianity is, I think, in its non-confessional radical space, is, and this is what Shizek means when he says, only, only a Christian can be an atheist. And it, what he means is that, that actually within Christianity, you have the death of God, where God experiences the death mm-hmm. of God. God undergoes symbolic castration. And so if you do not experience the death of the authority of the other, uh, then you have not gone into the true atheist experience. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you will weirdly not believe in God, but you will still have a subject supposed to know. You'll still be susceptible to that at, a, at an unconscious level. Mm-hmm. So only when you go through symbolic castration, will you ex- experience salvation? 
There you go. Good times. <laughs> Do you have a takeaway, Pete? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Takeaway. Very, um, so this, I think this went in really interesting directions and places. But basically, takeaway is, um, I would say that authority structures ex- pre-exist us. We are born into them. Um, and we are not one with them. We play certain rules and dangers arise when you disavow your symbolic astration or you hide it from other people. And that, that part of becoming a mature person is experiencing the, the, the symbolic astration of the other, your mother, your father, your political figures, religious figures, and then um, embracing your own symbolic astration. Very hard to do, but that is, one, that is the path to, to freedom. And uh, the path to freedom is one that we're terrified of, but it involves embracing that. There you go. I mean, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really I enjoyed this podcast episode very much. I did not know. I like how little I knew about where it was going, and I like where it went. Um, yeah. I also will say... Um, I loved how you brought up, by the way, at the end, how you were, you saw that... that um, the, oh, I can't, what was it? The, 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 the religious connotations of the crucifixion. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, that was good. What you know? did I notice? You, that uh, the crucifixion is in a religious language or cultic language a description of the symbolic castration of, yeah. of the of the absolute yeah. um yeah being abandoned by the yeah this is symbolic yeah. yeah um something something um yeah man i really like this it's the the structures and the you know and then also I'm being in the dating somebody and then also like having dated people and then also going through just growing up processes. And I think that there's like in your twenties, you go through different stages and in your thirties, you go through different stages and being in my thirties, I'm really enjoying sort of like, I think I'm past the disappointment that happens when, uh, when you realize these things are symbolic. I mean, obviously it's going to happen again and again with different Mm -hmm. things over and over and over again, whether it's relationships or whatever, you know, politics, but, um, the stuff that was super traumatic for me um, or like the stuff that was really difficult and still is a little, but like the Christian stuff, the religion stuff be, I feel like I'm at a very exciting time right now. And it speaks to that fact that even though it's terrifying to accept that these things are symbolic and to accept that these things are castrated or, or whatever term, um, it is worth it to go through the the sort of salvation, so to speak. I like the pre. Yeah. I really like the you know confessional church being pre, pre salvation. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very fun. It's like well, you're kind of there. And I know that like during the um the videos watching yesterday, the way that that Pete Holmes described it, which he's so good at that, but he basically was like, people see in the modern church, they see the fruit that is born out of it, whether if you read the bible or whatever and it's these stories of death and triumph and resurrection you know and life springing forward and all this stuff and they see the fruit of it and rather than go through the process of it they sort of just want to take the fruit and adopt the fruit and they mm-hmm. sort of pretend to be these like perfect people and then when it all goes away it's like extra scary and i feel like that happened to me growing up is I just adopted all of the things of all of the like I'm also working on this book right now and it's like I'm so nostalgic that I'm going through a lot of like these church days and what that oh, felt yeah, like to be yeah. like oh this is you know this is what I was really thinking and doing and like the role that I was playing 
um, especially because getting married when I was 20 years old and like all this and getting engaged mm -hmm. at 19, there were so many parts of that that I, I know were a result of being like, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is, this is Christianity. This is the truth. This is the way to be. Um, it is perfect and salvation is perfect and God is perfect. I'm now going to adopt sort of the perfect Christian lifestyle yeah. and then uh, and then it all fell apart and, th and this is by the way one of the, the values i think of confessional christianity is that it actually just exposes the the structure that we're all caught in so kind of pre-conversion christianity is this idea of of there's an absolute whole and complete and it's just it's it's kind of like a really good um example of really what most of us are caught up in and then you experience the breakdown of it. Yeah. You, you know, you got married because of it. you did all of the stuff that you did because of it. Then you experienced its collapse. Uh, the, and things I did because of it, but also served a purpose in my life and protected me yeah. from the freedom I was terrified of. Yeah. The, 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 the danger for a lot of people, I think, is that they experience the collapse of it, but they don't experience the collapse of the subject supposed to know. They just experience the collapse of that particular of the subject. That they have, and, oh, well, I see. of that particular subject supposed to know. So they still then are susceptible to a conversion to another worldview, another position. Whereas the real trick is moving from an unbroken myth to a broken myth. Uh, Tillich, Paul Tillich talks like this, where he says where actually you experience the auto deconstruction of your own position. And I think Christianity can be very good at that. Where, where again, you, it's not that you stop believing in God, it's that God stops believing in God. Mm -hmm. And that that experience of the other embrace, basically mm -hmm. that experience of you seeing the other as symbolically castrated frees you from the very structure of a subject supposed to know. Yeah. And that for me is the what, what you can call salvation. I also think that there's something to be said for, I love that. Uh, I also think there's something to be said for the, um, the death of these things and like the sort of like whatever it's like you can't intellectualize your way to it like mm -hmm. i really think it, it's a felt experience yeah. and it is existential and i know yeah. that like in my beginning days when i was first going to therapy much of my sessions were sort of about well i know this like i believe this and i know that this is the case and i know that like yeah. you know i should do this or shouldn't do this and yet and then years into doing it and years into sort of like quote unquote working on myself the big moral of the story is like who gives a crap just live your life and when you live your life you sort of will find out where you stand and what yeah. you believe but like just not just engaging with life more fully i think is uh, a helpful tip yeah over and, you know. and the way that you had to do that as you say is to go through certain practices like th and therapy is one of them um did that yeah meditation and yeah yeah to get to the first 15 years of my my vocation was setting up practices that helped existentially experience what we're talking about because you say it's not something that you intellectualize yourself out of you can as i say believe that tarot cards or whatever don't work but still do them use that we've both done tarot cards mm -hmm. at various times and all of that so it's not you it's, it's not bad to do these kinds of practices but we can get caught up in this this idea of a subject supposed to know mm -hmm. and the challenge for me is how do we create technologies that help us existentially become free of those things so that we can do them but in a playful way yeah. and not be caught up in them uh in some unhealthy way love it well what a what a podcast we've done here today pete yeah I think, I think we good. did it. And this right? is this is the difference between existentialism and kind of mysticism, basically. Existentialism is about embracing that freedom and yeah. that, no, that, that, that there is no subject supposed to know. But it's I so think funny. this is fun. It's also it's so fun. It's also fun just to like find the, the 
there's such a joy in finding the words that encapsulate the feeling that you can't really, that the word really doesn't existentialism, you know, nihilism. These are things that like, there's, it's beautiful that we have this language, but there's really nothing that like, it still doesn't explain, you know, the whole thing. Anyway, yeah. cool. cool. Any uh, closing, any no, goodbyes? I think that was fun. Well, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>